Dotton, thanks very much indeed for inviting yes, me into your house. I think I've met you before. Once or twice. <laughs> yes. I'm going to introduce you as the man who discovered Yardy. Oh, I like that. Yes, that's a very good title. I am not only the man who discovered Yardy, but I gave the book, which was initially called, or I should say, I gave the manuscript, which was in, initially called The Rough Way, I gave it the title Yardy, which is ironic because when you see the film of Yardy, about the only thing that they've kept from the book is the title. <laughs> we'll come to the film very shortly, but tell me about discovering the book and Victor Headley. Well, Victor Headley and I worked on a newspaper together, the Voice newspaper, a black newspaper in, this would have been the early 90s. And I left there under something of a cloud, I must admit, and I was still working in, in, in journalism, working for other newspapers. I was going through a rough time, I remember, very depressed at the time. My stepmother had died and this, that and the other. And this guy gave me, this guy that I'd worked with previously, gave me a manuscript and he said, do you think this will make a good flim as a true Jamaican would? Although, is he a true Jamaican? Ah, da, da. I didn't read the manuscript. I had other things to do. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then he asked me, you know, a month down the road, have you read it? And I said, no, no I'm, I'm going to read it. Another few weeks down the road, have you read it? And then, no, 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 okay, I'm going to Eventually, I got trapped in a corner. I thought, I will never be able to walk out of my house till I've read this book because this guy keeps asking me. So I lied initially. I, the next time I saw him, I said, yeah, I've read it. He said, so what do you think? I said, yeah, it's, it's all right. You know, I kind of waffled my way through it. But he realised I was probably, well, I was definitely bullshitting so he said um, look I tell you what don't have another read of it so at times like by this time I'm exhausted so one night I was at home in my flat in South London and um, literally about two o'clock in the morning something got me I said let me just flick through this manuscript anyway about six hours later the water was now cold because I was in a bath rather than a shower I was still reading it maybe finishing it off by then and the water was very cold jumped out of the bath and I thought I'm going to have a go at publishing this. This is a cracking read. And I'd had a title in my head because I wanted to write a gangster story. And so I thought, if I write a gangster story, I will call it Yardy. So I'd had that title in my head, in my head probably a couple of years before the manuscript came out. And clearly, this was the right manuscript to go with that title. And initially, I said to the author, look, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know about making a flim, but I could certainly have a go, or we can certainly have a go at publishing it as a book. I knew nothing about publishing at this stage, by the way, but I'd always had in my mind that if I don't get a publisher, I'll publish something myself, kitchen sink, whatever, sell it to a few friends. So I had the title, I got the manuscript, put two and two together, I said to the author, I'll have a go at publishing it, but I want to call it Yardy. And he was like, no, no, no way. So we had a fight with him for about two or three months about what the title should be. Yeah, but that's essentially how the manuscript came to me, how I discovered it. So Victor was just a, a colleague on The Voice then, who, like you, harboured this idea of writing a gangster story, but he got in first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He had the manuscript before, but he wasn't even a colleague, essentially. He was working, kind of doing work experience at The Voice. It wasn't get paid and funny enough my business partner Steve who was the editor of The Voice at the time said look he was a shit journalist he was a shit journalist he was rubbish as a journalist but he managed to write this manuscript that you know people it came out of the right place at the right time with the right sort of like hype around it you know and that was stuff that we hadn't planned but just came naturally 
and uh, the people loved and it was a huge bestseller. I've just been rereading it now. I didn't get the edition that you published through Express Publishing. I think I bought the first pan paperback edition and it immediately thrusts you into that world, that underworld of shabines, of sound systems, of drugs, crime, which thankfully for most of my life I've managed to steer clear of. Well, yeah, it was it was a revelation because it's funny you say that immediately thrust you into that story. It, there is a linear story there. When people ask me to describe Yardi, I either say, look, these were the two films that inspired Yardi. One of them was The Godfather, but The Godfather only inspired Yardi for part two and part three, which the author never intended to write. But we sold three parts to Pan Macmillan as a package. We did a deal with them for one book. Then we said to them, actually, it's part of a trilogy. We hadn't spoken to the author at this point, but we wanted three times as much money. That's what we knew about business, you know. But the reason why I say The Godfather was the inspiration, because if you read the way it's gone, Godfather Part 1, as you watch the films rather than the book, the first one is where all the action is, yeah? Boom, 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 boom. There's then the second one is like an afterthought that they decided, OK, let's do the backstory and a wider, more expansive story. That's Part 2, excess is just like that, whereas Yardi is like Godfather Part 1. And then 3, Part 3, is when all the ends are tied up very quickly, you know, or relatively fast action pace, but everything. To that extent, it is The Godfather. Also, I think, in its cultural expanse, because you talk about, oh, it gets you into the action. I look at it as a very cultural book. I don't see the action. You see the action, but I see the the journey through the black condition at the time and the cultural difference between people who are from back home, albeit Jamaica in this case, and the black British experience when we come to Britain. Those are fundamental tenets of this book. If you remember with Yardi, he has two girlfriends. One of them is his girlfriend from back home in Jamaica, and she acts a certain way. This is Donna, yeah? Yeah, she acts a certain way, which is different from the way that a black British woman, and particularly in terms of um, male-female relationships, you know, Donna from back home may accept the fact that he's a philanderer, Whereas the woman, the slightly sassy, if not, you know, out of order girl from the UK, he's not going to take any of that. And he's like, hang on, no, 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 hang on. Well, you know, which one do I go for? The one from back home, my old time ting, or the new ting, which is causing me all sorts of headaches, you know. And then he has to juggle both. And then obviously they become pregnant at the same time, which solves that problem. <laughs> and you talk about the black British oh, condition. Go on. Yeah, sorry, just before I get to that stage, the second book or the second film would be Scarface. If you want to know about Yardi, watch Scarface, because that was the author Victor Headley's favourite film. Yardi starts at the airport. Remember, Scarface really starts when he lands as a refugee from Cuba. But obviously he's, he's one of the Cubans that they've been thrown out of Cuba because they're bad boys, you know. But that's really where it starts, when he comes to immigration, you know, and he's like Tony Montana or whatever his name is. From there, the story starts the same as Yardi. So those are the two films that you would look at to see where the inspiration of the book came from. Even more then than now, the black British experience is chronically underwritten, isn't it? This was one of the 
the reasons why I think in 1992 when you first published it, why Yardi was such a significant book over and above anything to do with the quality of the writing, the quality of the story, its mere presence was important. Its presence was important in terms of getting black British books in particular, but black books in general, into bookstores. What was it like then getting Yardi out there? What was it like actually becoming a publisher? That was weird. I didn't have a clue what to do, so I went to, I saw a guy called Q, who published a little kind of pamphlet called Dead Meat. It wasn't really a book, but he sold it at clubs and everything. And I met up with him and he started saying, well, you know, I went to this printer's. That was the worst thing I ever did because he sent us to a printer that wasn't a regular book printer. I remember it was a Muslim guy called Aladdin. (laughs) I'm not laughing, but you may well do. And uh, the unit price of that print run, the first thousand, was £1.80 per um, unit. We subsequently went to a proper book publisher. Okay, we're publishing a little bit more, down to about 80p a book. So we lost so much money in that first thousand print run. Didn't have any money, so I had to struggle to get the money for the next print run because, of course, bookstores aren't paying you for 90 days. We sold out pretty quickly. You know, when you're doing it, you don't really realise, because my life then, I was half the size I am now, I can tell you that, because I didn't have any money, I was cycling everywhere. I remember the first meeting we had with, um, first of all, Lenny Henry's production company, he he just pissed us around, to be honest with it, that's another story, that's up to him. Uh, there was another company as well, that I remember cycling all the way from South East London to go and have a meeting with, and they saw me in my biker's shorts or whatever, not even proper biker's shorts, just some shorts I had on there and they saw me sweating and they said, why didn't you take the bus? And I kind of styled it out like, yeah, no, I'm really into my fitness at the moment. You know, <laughs> I couldn't afford a flipping bus, mate. That's why. And most of my life was spent putting up posters in the middle of the night, you know, around Brixton. Funny enough, sometimes we just do Brixton. We'd do Brixton. We'd cover every single piece of spare wall in Brixton because we knew by the next day, the bad boys, you know, the gangsters that run those kind of posters on the street sides are going to come and tear it all down. So, We'd rinse out the entire place, you know? And it was it was just serendipity, but Brixton was the right choice because major thoroughfares, tube, the last, the end of the Victoria line on the tube. So after that, if you live south of Brixton, you have to go through Brixton, get out and then get a bus to wherever you're going to. It's a major thoroughfare, that Brixton Road. So people would tell us, all over London, people would say, gosh, I've seen posters for your book. Your posters are everywhere. In actual fact, they'd only seen them in Brixton that very day, because by the next day, they'd Thank be facing exactly. But, you know, and they'd say to us, we've seen them everywhere. Oh, flipping out, you know. But literally, we'd put up, you know, we'd print up a thousand posters, maybe put up 500 in Brixton overnight. Yeah, overnight. That's what we used to do. So you didn't really, didn't get a sense of being a book publisher. So it wasn't until one day, and maybe we'd done, so the first print run was a thousand, second print run was probably about, 3,000 and third print run about 5,000 each time we had to borrow money from more money from family and friends to print them and then one day my brother that brother followed said to me one day I must have been around by his yard or something he said to me Dotton you'll never believe how large you are out there and I'm like what? I genuinely didn't know because all I've been doing was putting up posters in the middle of the night giving out leaflets at the tube stations going out to events giving out leaflets and you just don't have any sense of it and he said, no, no, you're large. Everywhere I go, you know, people are talking about you. And I'm like, what? 
I couldn't understand it. I could not understand it because I didn't get any sense of that. So I've got this early edition of Yardy in front of me then, the, so your Express That is version. a gun. That's a real gun there. How did you get that? Did you put well, that? You put that cover out, yeah. Yeah, that's my hand there. Actually, that's my hand. So you're I'm... holding the real yeah, gun yeah, on the cover yeah. of the and original. You, edition you of probably Yardy. see my broken finger on that case here. Oh no, it's under there. Otherwise, you'd be able to see my finger. Mm. There. But that is my hand holding the gun, pointing forwards. Uh, Steve took the photograph in his back garden, I think, and he had those guns. He had loads of guns in his house because he was into collecting guns. But they were technically collectors' guns, so they'd had the pins taken out of them. But I didn't stop somebody breaking into his house and nicking them all because you know you can use those replica guns. You know, it wasn't even replica; they're real guns. A real nine milli pistol right there. It's a real one, you know, it's not a joke. That's, a, that's the one that kills people. And the, you had to get everything right authentically. I didn't know, I wouldn't have known the difference between a nine million and a, and a pistol. But I know that when, um, when the American edition had some guy with a revolver on it, you know, it was just like, nah, even I could see it wasn't right. You know, there's no yard he's going to hold a little snub nosed revolver, you know. Um, not glorifying all the guns, but you've got to be authentic. You're going to put out the book authentically. So I reviewed the movie of Yardi recently, and I said that part of the appeal to me when I first read the book was that there were parallels with books written by a white British guy called Richard Allen, books like Skinhead and Suedehead, which unquestionably had Chopper, Chopper Hell's Angel. Skinhead uh, Girls. Had, had racist language in them and lots of you know horrible sort of racist attitudes expressed in them but there was something about the rawness there was a there was a trueness to life about them and that for me also even though I didn't know particularly the world the world that D in Yardi inhabited there was something of a crossover there are you offended oh, by no, that no, not at all not at all if anything that might have been subconsciously an inspiration I was 12 years old when the skinhead books came out and my brother it said to me, uh, you know, he brought it home and passed it around, you know, so I said, can I pass it around my friends, you know, because it, it was like, it seemed like underground, you know, for us, it seemed like, you know, the equivalent of getting a blue movie or something, not that I ever, ever got one, don't even know what one looks like, if it's really blue or otherwise, no, generally. But, 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 but that's, but that's exactly was. how I experienced yeah. getting it, and so I had older sisters, older brother, bringing them home from school, and they were passed around and passed around. And they were already ripped up with sellotape and everything like that. And they felt underground, yeah. and even though... Joe I'm Hawkins, Joe, Joe Hawkins, Hawkins, yeah, and I could see how he stood on the cover of the first book. He had white state press on, braces and he stood up against the wall with one foot up behind him like this and there's a drain pipe behind him against the wall I know brick wall mate trust me I know I know I read all of them I read all of them um, and subconsciously it might have been part of the thing but not they were still like 20 years before or 25 years before by the time we published Yardy is raw but you know Skinner was just on reflection couldn't read it it was of its time you know years later I met a guy I knew a guy called Jamie LeCruz who used to be the editor of uh, music magazine a really good one called Touch Jamie's now a filmmaker he's been to Hollywood and he's won an Oscar for a short film amongst other things his father was the managing director of New English Library. New English Library, Nell, which published all the skinhead so, books. Exactly. His father, so his father was able to tell me about Richard Allen. I went to his father for, after we'd published Yardy, and then I met uh, up with Jamie. So yeah, my dad used to publish all these books. I'm like, what? He used to publish, so I went to him to spend an evening with him where he sort of like broke down 
New English Library for me and he said that Richard Allen was like a 60-year-old Scottish alcoholic proofreader that they had. And he said, I'll write some books. Yeah, I'll knock some up. And he started writing these books. But he was like in his 60s already and he died of, you know, prematurely because of all the drinking he was doing and so on. But yeah, they sold, probably sold more than Yardi, I would have thought. They were much more mainstream than that. Yeah, but still with that sense of underground, which was the thrill, I think, for me, of, of reading Yardi. Now, in this early edition it does say soon to be a major motion picture oh. uh, that was uh, at the time anyway a boast which had nothing to back it up but it has now become a major motion picture no less the first movie to be directed by Idris Elba what do you think of the film well it's nothing like the book to be honest it's nothing like the book and that was quite a shock to me because I thought they bought the rights to the book as I said to you at the beginning I think they bought the rights to the title rather than the book they changed the book and I think it's a shame because there are layers of the book I'll tell you what I can't tell an ex-man how to run his business uh, he's much more successful than me so I wouldn't even dream of it but I wonder why Idris I think Idris would have got a lot more kudos as a director if he had made the film in the spirit of the book in that it was a low-budget film noir. That book is basically a low-budget film noir. That's what it is. We can call it rough and ready or whatever. It takes you into the dark side. You don't see any of the machinations. When D gets shot, you don't see him using um, lemon juice to sterilise the wound because he can't go to hospital or anything like that. You don't see that. And those are the, some of the underground things that made you realise that this was real, this is how they do it. This is why the book was sold immense numbers at, um, I think it was Books Etc., I think the bookshop was, on Victoria Street, where not only was Scotland Yard based until very recently, but also HM Customs and Excise, because they want to know how do these guys bring the drugs into the thing. He went for the commercial big shot success. I think if he'd done it as a low-budget film noir, he could have gotten the kind of kudos that um, Quentin Tarantino got with Reservoir Dogs. So you yeah. are, it's fair to say you're disappointed with it. It's not fair of me to say that because I am a financial beneficiary of it and I would be hypocritical to say that I'm disappointed. Um, I think I think it's a shame that doesn't add up to the same thing in my mind but I think it's a shame he didn't do it just like the book we you know we've done the job for him in the book all he had to do was dramatize it and I would have done it differently but like I say he's got every right to make it the way he makes it and I wish it every success partly not least because they bought the next two books as well which no but I do wish it every success of course I do it's my baby to a certain extent not as much as it is the author's I get that but I spent a year and a half of my life editing that book working on it it's putting up posters like I've told you in the middle of the night a year and a half maybe up to two years of my life you know you, even if I'd only adopted the baby for that time, I'd still be emotionally attached to it, you know? You feel a passion. It's still something that is significant uh, to you. I, I did until I saw the film, and now I've let it go. I've had to let it go. I've had to let it go. I've had to let it go. Yeah, I've had to let it go. 